welcome to the Real Man Wood Arch Independent Collaboration Show. He is Chris, I am Tommy, and I had reached out to see if there was any interest in doing a collab podcast. I wanted to get a pulse check on current events, and the midterm elections seemed like a pretty good spot to do that. So I shot Chris a message and asked if he would do a podcast with me. You were down to do it. It seemed natural to maybe simulcast it to both our feeds. So however folks may be hearing this, let's kick off the Real Man Arch Indie Show with your thoughts on the midterm elections that remarkably enough, it's still not over as we record this on Tuesday, the 15th of November, a week after the election, not quite done yet. So what are your impressions of all of this? Well, I'll just say one thing first is we were supposed to do this last week. And I mentioned that we were supposed to do this on my podcast. And a lot of people were asking about it. I got a lot of questions like, where can I find it? Where did you put it? It's not on either of your podcasts. So there was some interest, at least from some of the guys that listen to Real Man Wood. Okay, cool. They must cool. have liked the uh, they must have liked the episode that you did on Real Man Wood a while back. So just one thing, like, so I am not very much into politics. Like, I don't really know shit about politics. I mean, I know the basics. I'm on Twitter, but like, I barely. I mean, I paid attention, but I I couldn't tell you like which races are not resolved yet, or you know. I, my, my basic premise is just very simple is if they can cheat, they will, if they can get away with it, they will, they will. So I don't really, you know, for me, it's like, I don't really care to get into, well, they, there was a dump of ballots at two in the morning and nobody was allowed to count or no, they did let them count and all these arguments back and forth. I don't really care about all of that. I mean, it's great if somebody has like ironclad evidence and can prove it, but you know, you just hear so many claims in both directions, but my thing is, if it can be cheated, it will be cheated. And, and you look at the Republicans gerrymandering and diluting people's votes for years and all the lies that are told to manipulate voters to voting for something that is not what they're actually getting. They will cheat in every way possible. And to the extent the system is very difficult to actually cheat at the ballot box, like you know, digitally alter votes or get extra mail-ins, to, to the extent that that's possible, they're going to do it. To the extent that it's impossible, then they won't do it. And so to me, the whole debate isn't, you know, did they cheat? Would they cheat? Of course they would cheat. Did they cheat? Isn't, you know, do, do I see them cheat? It's, is this system one that is, you know, possible to cheat without getting caught or like, you know, at least that someone, a reasonable person could believe that they wouldn't get caught. And if that is the case, then I'm presuming cheating without even alleging any particular evidence or knowing which race is should have gone one way based on the polling or whatever else. I have heard you say that before, that the baseline expectation is that if politicians can cheat to get elected, they probably will. And that seems really reasonable to me. Um, the word that I often find myself using is electioneering. So it, it, I don't think there's any doubt that there have been coordinated efforts to establish conditions where cheating can occur. Um, make no mistake, both major parties do it. It's pretty amazing to sit back and watch it. But I guess if I look at the Real Clear Politics website, according to them right now, the House, the House of Representatives is still not yet decided. So you need 218 for the majority of the races that Real Clear Politics has decided can be called. They have Republicans at 217, Democrats 206 need 218 over in the Senate. 
the Real Clear Politics has Democrats 50, Republicans 49. So that's a Georgia runoff yet to, to decide the 50th, or excuse me, the 100th seat there. To the extent that it's interesting to anybody of the generic national House vote, it was Republicans by four points. They had 52.5 million, and the Democrats about 48. So there's your overall stats if you're into that type of thing. Well, I was just going to say, like, if, if I were trying to cheat on behalf of the people I represent, I would want to cheat in a reasonable way that it could be plausible, right? Like, you wouldn't want to have your party win 60% or 62% of the national vote and take every single, you know, seat that was available because you, you know, people would just be like, that's just not realistic. That's not possible. You would want to cheat to the maximum that you could kind of, that, that people could accept as possibly real. And, you know, it's just the same reason the book will charge you, you know, minus 110, 10 cents extra. They're not going to be, when they go to minus 120 or minus 130, like nobody's going to bet there. Nobody's going to buy it. You're willing to be fleeced by a little bit, but you're not willing to take it more than that. And so this is to me like a plausible-ish outcome. You yeah, know, I mean, it's not didn't happen. totally whack. You know? it's, it's definitely not yeah. totally whack. I just, I think there's, you know, there's two different things. Do I think the results are completely out of whack? No, definitely not. But am I aware that we have consciously, as a society, kind of thrown up our hands and said, well, if you want to gerrymander, go ahead, redraw the districts, make them just crazy so the same party gets elected all the time. If you want to set up the conditions for mass scale ballot harvesting, ah, that's cool. Go ahead. You know, I don't, I don't think that there's really much concern about it, to be quite honest with you. Um, let me share this anecdote. So in the Las Vegas Review Journal, the big newspaper in Vegas, and Vegas, uh, part of the Nevada, big Senate race there, big gubernatorial race, if you're into politics at that level. So the Republican cop who was uh, the sheriff, from the big shooting. Remember the kind of mystery motive guy goes to Mandalay and, and guns down a bunch of innocent people Dude, at a country concert? We could do a whole we could do a whole podcast on these things that happened that had a very strange and not really that doesn't really add up explanation and then shelved and never looked at again. Yeah, shelved, like we, just, we could do a whole podcast on these things of like, wait. How long was the guy in the hallway? Like, why did the police take that long? What about the hotel cameras? Like, where, you know, that are everywhere. In, like, there's so many things about that story that made no sense. I know I'm derailing this, but that in itself is a, is a whole podcast of, of not just that. There's like 30 things like that. What the hell happened to the Nord Stream pipeline? Like that, no one's talking about that anymore. Like, there's just so many things that are like crazen things that happen. And then they're like a sensation for, you know, a week. And then and it's gone. nobody hey. gets to the bottom of it. And nobody mentions it ever again. Did you know that Paul Pelosi got hit by a hammer? <laughs> right. It's another one. It's There's gone. so many of these things that don't add up. And they're like, no, you're an idiot. If you do that, you're a conspiracy theorist. Stop talking about it. And it's like, okay, well, then I guess you guys will get to the bottom of this and you know, debunk whatever crazy theory I might have come up with. Please, let's see what actually happened and tell me that you know, everybody's saying this crazy shit is wrong. No, that's it. There's no, that's, they don't get to the bottom of it. They don't, exactly. there's nothing, it'll never be heard from again. It, it is definitely a weird dynamic, but the sheriff from the shooting incident, he's now the governor of Nevada. And for the Senate race, the Democrat actually won off of what seemed like a Hail Mary, collecting 63% of the final drop to just eke out a win 
And anyway, there's this guy who writes for the big newspaper in Vegas, and he has 11 of his friends send him a picture of their ballot envelope, and then each of his friends copies his version of their signature, and they sign it as if they're him. So in other words, they're kind of making a mockery of the whole sign your ballot and return it thing. And it's not illegal because each of the voters is signing his or her own ballot. So you may have heard about some of the loons who do the fraud test by actually committing fraud, and that never works out. Like, if you want to test election integrity by actually committing fraud, I think someone in Wisconsin did it recently. Like, they wanted to show that you could forge military overseas ballots, so they did it, and then they just got arrested for it. Nobody was like, okay, we're going to change the election laws. Yeah, real man goes, <laughs> it was definitely real man shit. Let's watch. Here's how I'll show you There's a, you can commit fraud. I'll do it. And it's like, well... No one changes. You got to do time. Yeah. Do time for the, the cause. Seriously. So anyway, the review guy has a clever thing. And I will say anecdotally that I tested it. I signed my own ballot, but I just signed it left handed just with my off hand. We're like, ah, let's see if anybody notices or says anything. Nope. And the review journal of his 11 friends who sent in their ballots, six of them were accepted. No questions asked. So just over 50%. So it's just, it's fascinating to me. Any final thoughts on election, electioneering, ballot harvesting, signing ballots? Uh, yeah, just interesting that even though it might be in one party's interest to tamp down on that, like you think like maybe the Republicans would have won more if, if they had, you know, made it harder to cheat, assuming that was the, dem I mean, I, I assume both were cheating, but you know, let's just say that it was more of an advantage to have these loose rules for the Democrats this time around. So why didn't the Republicans go bananas to do that? First of all, a lot of the establishment Republicans and establishment Democrats have more in common than they do with non-establishment members of the party. And I don't even know if there are those, you know, eventually the AOCs get totally co-opted and probably the same thing in the Republicans. But it's almost like more valuable to leave this wiggle room for the future, because if they really need something to happen, that wiggle room is going to be really valuable. So if you were to fight it and get really airtight laws that were really hard to cheat, it may be an advantage to you now. But if you're sort of representing the oligarchy and funded, you know, by people, you know, both parties funded by you know, powerful factions that want to control how things go, they're probably telling you, let's not fight this too much because we might need this at a later date. If, we, if you just for a temporary advantage, make the it airtight like it should be. And it, I think it could be. I mean, I'm not saying it would be easy, but then, you know, you're giving up control later. You might end up with another Trump or someone else you don't want. So I don't know. That's just my last thought that you'd think, well, why wouldn't the other party, you know, try to really hard to make sure this doesn't happen? But it's like kind of in both of their interests to keep it up like this. Before the show, I sent over just a quick list of topics. One of the items that I was hoping to discuss is for a long time, I've heard this concept of you should vote for a lesser of two evils, the utilitarian, if you will. And I wanted to kind of contrast utilitarian lesser of two evil mindset versus what I would call a single issue voter. And that's somebody who's determined that there's just one issue out there. Believe it or not, there are still issues in campaigns and elections. Some people do care about economies and, and 
immigration policies, things like that. You know, they're still medical mandates. Yes. (laughs) Funny you mentioned that. So a single issue voter who was really interested in the pandemic response, I think they emerged in this election. uh, And according to the cliche, all politics are local. So at the school board level, we saw a lot of reporting of massive changeovers from incumbents, which is somewhat rare, you know, from a political science perspective at these kind of lower level, very intensely local, your school board, your unified school district or whatever type of public school commission board you have. There are people who are elected to run that, and a lot of times there's not much interest in those, and that changed a lot. I just wanted your thoughts on the difference between somebody who saw school closures as just one element uh, that sticks out from the pandemic response of, of medical mandates, of all of these things. The school closures were a huge issue for parents, and they voted as a block to put a lot of new representation on school boards. So that's kind of a long way of, of asking that question. How do you see utilitarian versus single-issue voters? Well, I mean, I think utilitarianism, period, is moral bankruptcy. It's a it's a really stupid way to conduct morality. Like, oh, if I can kill this one person to save 10 people, that's a good deed, murdering somebody. Then you kill the guy and you're like, oh no, that was just a joke. We were, you killed that guy, we we're just kidding. Well, I was trying to save 10 people. No, that was just what in your imagination. Or maybe it really was what you thought and the future doesn't go the way you want. I mean, it, it really requires you to have a crystal ball and also know, you know long-term crystal ball, right? Because if you kill, you kill one to save 10, but- you start a blood feud by killing that one and there's a hundred people that die after it, it didn't go very well. So you just, you just can't do that. And so the alternative to utilitarianism and looking at a spreadsheet and saying, Oh, let's steal from these people because they don't need it and we'll give it to them. And then you're in a society where you can take from people without their permission because utilitarianism it's, it's what you deem best. Well, the two problems are, are, are one that you don't have the crystal ball and, and nobody can do the math of the tertiary and the coursiary or whatever the word is effects of these things into the future. And the other one is that it's, it's just too tempting to be self-serving, right? I'm a great leader. My opponent's evil. I, if these people are going to stop me from being elected, I have to cheat. I have to kill somebody because he's in, interfering with my agenda to save humanity and so on and so on. It's, it's incredibly self-serving. Every dictator has justified what he's doing probably until it was obvious that he was just a psychopath, but probably justified what he's doing for the greater good. So utilitarianism is totally bankrupt. So to vote for somebody because, well, they're a total grifting scumbag, but you know, in the, in the long run, it's better if he gets elected than this guy. To me, that's just bankrupt. You don't know the long-term effects of, of your vote, just, you know, but you do know the principle of this is a person I don't respect and don't want in charge. I'll write in, you know, a, someone else that's not even on the ballot maybe or something. Single issue is kind of like a principled voting. I mean, the alternative is, is the Kantian. One alternative is the Kantian the categorical imperative, which is act only on that maxim you would will to be a universal law, which just basically means just do what you think people in your shoes should do. You know, something's not right or wrong based on a spreadsheet. It's right or wrong based on, well, you know, should I speak out what I think is true? Do I want other people to speak out? Or am I saying, well, if I speak out, I can get in trouble and I'm a utilitarian. No, it's, I just want to do what I think everybody should be doing in this situation. And so single issue voter is kind of like that, right? You're saying, look, schools need to be open. I'm going to vote for the guy who opens the schools period. You know, this is, this is what we need to do. I'm voting for this guy. I'm not going to vote for the guy who happens to have the, the letter in front of their name. That's, that's my tribe's letter or, you know, my religion. I'm just going to 
vote for the thing that that I think is important. And, and of course, that's a much better way to to make a decision of who to vote for. Okay, so and I had actually thought about that because I I am aware that you're into that Kant the categorical imperative, and what I counter that with is I'm huge into David Hume philosophy, and. Because of that, I, I feel like we're more a slave to our passions than a creature of reason. So what happens when I'm operating on that maxim, but my maxim that I want to become a universal law is screwy because I'm really operating on you know more of a passion scale. Can't my maxim be corrupted, I guess is really what I'm asking? I would say, yeah. I mean, I think any philosophy or moral framework is going to depend on the person executing it okay. to some extent. Yeah. But, but what these are, are kind of like ways of framing it and thinking about it that, you know, can lead you down one path or another. And so, you know, you're not just saying like, Oh, like, you know, I'm going to take all the money and bezel it for myself because that couldn't really be a universal law. <laughs> okay, um, you know, th- you know, only one person can really do that. And you're saying, well, anybody in this situation should grab what they can. And I happen to be luckily in this situation. So I'm going to do it. I mean, I don't really think moral philosophy is the operating principle there, right? You're just like, okay. I'm greedy and I want this, right? That's like fair. if you're actually trying to, you know, and, and let's give credit to our spreadsheet driven uh, utilitarian people who I think are, you know, mistaken, let's just give them the the credit that like they actually want to do the right thing, or at least they think they do. And they're trying to do the right thing. So, so at least like, that's who you're speaking to, right? Like, okay, you thought this idea, because this is society runs on utilitarianism. I mean, the, the study Absolutely. shows this will help. This Absolutely. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, all these wonks in, in public policy and think tanks, they, they think utilitarianism is not just the right way. It's, it's just the way. Well, let's, let's so, kind of expand on that and let's use the medical mandates as kind of our context for this debate, because I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like you have stated that you are categorical imperative on that. No medicine forced ever for any reason do I, I you know don't let me misrepresent your position is but is that not it is that not what i've heard you say kind of repeatedly yeah i mean obviously if you're like hit by a car and you're unconscious and there's some something you need and you know, they have to make a decision <laughs> okay. that's different but i mean just you know so i don't want to be absolute about it but yeah like if i'm a rational adult and i'm i don't want something you, you can't force it on me and it doesn't matter what reasons you give and, and I, I think that the thing about the Kantian categorical imperative that is interesting is it actually beats utilitarianism on its own terms. It actually brings about the greatest good for the greatest number more efficiently. Uh, I think utilitarianism fails on its own terms. It brings about the greatest misery for the greatest number uh, when taken to its conclusion. And so, you know, the idea of like, well, we needed to force this on people because we need to stop the spread and save lives. You know, that would be the utilitarian reason. But now you're in a society where you can be forced to inject what the powerful people, the government, whoever wants to force inject you with. Now you've lost the right, the bodily autonomy to say, you know what? I'm good. If you don't have that right, you have nothing because now they own your bloodstream. I mean, if you don't have autonomy over your bloodstream, you own nothing. You think you own a house? You think you own a car? You don't even own your bloodstream. So you're basically bringing it in a society where for the greater good, you now not, now, you know, okay, well, even if it did work, even if it did stop the spread, which obviously it didn't, but they lied and said it did. So you would never know until later, even if it did not have a lot of side effects, which it appears to have, even if it was really good, it, you know, made a big difference, which I don't think it did by forcing people who didn't want it, even if those people were totally mistaken about the science or the medicine, 
Now you've just ushered in a society where you don't have autonomy. You don't own anything. You don't even own your bloodstream. So what is the utilitarian benefit of that? That's way worse to me than, you know, people being allowed to either get the vaccine if they believe it has the benefits outweigh the risks or refuse it. You've created a dystopian hell just because you were trying to, you know, you thought, oh, this will be better medically. I, I can easily respect that. And I find the argument to really be philosophically spotless. However, I really do have a more conditional imperative, maybe, is the way I would say it, because I find that a mandate that can survive strict scrutiny, that seems okay to me. So I, I would come in south of categorical imperative. I would grab for the polio vaccine as the go-to example, like everybody else. I still respect the categorical imperative, but I don't think it has the same weight at all times as a, as a conditional imperative that is based on legitimate strict scrutiny. And obviously in the context of COVID-19 mandates, we didn't have anything that even fucking resembled strict scrutiny. So that's an ethical failing across the board, as far as I'm concerned. However, let me ask about the well, other let, let set me say of something about the polio. Let me say just something about the polio mandate, because to me, that's totally out of bounds. I think that- Why is that out of bounds? Imperative, that's, well, it, the, the Kantian imperative would say, if you think that this polio vaccine is effective and will stop the spread, then you should take it, right? If you think everybody should take it, you should take it, right? So you would still be morally required by your own conscience to take the vaccine if you believe that it were effective and, and safe. But the government making you do it, that's a whole different thing. That's not, you know, the government saying you must do this whether you want it or not. Well, you're in the same, you know, this is what they said about the, the COVID vaccine. The thing is, they all said it was true. So, right, you, the but they didn't is, put it under strict scrutiny. So that's what I'm saying is like, I right, would, I have but a, who is scrutinizing it? Who would scrutinize a it? court of law, an appropriate court of law okay. looked at several mandates. We can go to the diocese in New York. You had the California cases all throughout COVID. The mandates didn't hold up under strict scrutiny and they were struck down. The OSHA mandate, of course, maybe might be the most famous when Biden tried to, you know, push that mandate across the entire economy. That didn't fly. So I think there are legitimate, you know, branches of government, the judicial being the one that I'm referring to, that will hold up. So you can have well, a what conditional if, imperative in our, you know, if our system is working correctly, this, you know, tri-branch system, then yes, you can have a conditional imperative. Well, what if it's not working correctly? Well, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the, these things have to be like the idea that, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, it's good because the good guy, that's what, you know, that's what the normies think. They think, well, Biden's in charge. So, you know, I'm sure this mandate was good. I mean, that's just basically their basis for it. Now it turns out, as you said, okay. like it yeah. wasn't remotely good. It was, but they, that's just their thing. I so, couldn't you know, agree you might with say you these more. Judges, these I, judges are good. Like we can trust the judiciary, but you know, they're, they're just human beings like anyone else and they can be corrupted like everybody else. And it is great that our system that was founded to be hard to corrupt the whole thing all at once, kind of like this, we've gotten some mileage out of that. Like, oh, wow, they, they corrupted a lot of the system, but some of it still functioned for us, thankfully, belatedly after the mandates happened. There was some means of correction there, but that's not always going to be the case, right? And so I just think like, in terms of our consciousness, in terms of like, citizens of a society like that can never be allowed like it should just 
you're basically saying, oh, I trust this other adult more than me to decide what medicine I should take. Right. So and I just, that's just never, never okay. Like I'm a grown up. There's no higher authority than me about right. what I do, how I live my life, my body. Now, if I kill somebody or something, well, now I've just gotten myself involved in something that transcends my bloodstream and my autonomy. Now I'm, I'm dealing with other people's lives. And then of course it's appropriate for the state to step in, but you're talking about like what medicine I can take. There is no higher authority than me. I don't care how much, how many degrees somebody has, what the court looked at the evidence, whatever. It's just like, fuck off. You know, obviously, like, yeah, yeah, I would I would agree unless certain conditions are met, hence my conditional imperative. But how do we deal with the fact that I think objectively we have to stand here today in 2022 and say that your categorical imperative, my conditional imperative they are minority positions, massive minority positions, because the majority um, of folks who I observe, they don't seem to even need a strict scrutiny standard. They have more of a experts imperative. And you just hit on that. Trust the experts. Trust the experts. Is, is it the experts imperative? Is that a good way to define it? Whether, you know, whether that's good terminology or not, this huge block of people seems to be generally okay with a mandate if they conclude that, you know, hey, our best and brightest said this was the best course of action. So I have no problem respecting that opinion the same way I have no problem respecting the categorical imperative, even though to varying degrees, I think they're both incorrect at times. Um, what I don't respect, as I don't think anyone would, are individuals and institutions that try to tell me that the COVID mandates did to go through strict scrutiny when they didn't. You know, the whole don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining thing. But that set aside, that set of, of dishonest individuals who are trying to, for probably selfish reasons, say that everything COVID was great. I'm talking about the, the group of people who are intellectually honest about it and say, hey, you know what? I trust the experts. They said you had to take this shot. And that was the only way we could all make it through this rough time. So mistakes might have been made. Some of your rights might have got trampled. But sorry, man, that's just how it went. You're going to have to move on. How do you come back from that? Well, I mean, there's two different things, right? There's I trust the experts, so I took the shot. That's that's trusting the experts recommended it. And there's I'm trusting the psychos who said you have to mandate this shot, right? <laughs> Which is a, a whole different thing. And you have to do it too. So those are two different levels of trusting the experts. But I would just say like it fails on its face too, just like utilitarianism. If If you're supposed to trust an expert, well, are you an expert in knowing who's an expert? So, I mean, you know, if, if you're, people tell me, dude, trust the experts, who the hell are you to know about medicine? Why are you taking vitamins and ivermectin and stuff? Why didn't you just do what the experts said? I said, so you're telling me what I should be doing, who I should be listening to? Are you an expert at who to listen to? Are you an expert at, at diagnosing who the right expert is? It's a great argument. I mean, you box somebody in their own terrible logic. I mean, it's a it, it brilliant- It doesn't work, right? It yeah, doesn't work. Of course, it collapses I, you, on itself. They're, ba they're basically saying, I'm a better assessor of reality than you. That's right. all they're saying That's, to me. Because yeah. if they say, no, 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 it's not me who thinks it. It's the expert who thinks it. I'm not saying, my, I know more about medicine than you. It's the expert who knows more. Well, how do you know? Are you an expert in knowing who's an expert? And they, they're not. They're, like, they're not, I don't, there's no demonstrated- means that they have shown that their judgment is excellent and is better than mine. So why would I listen to them on their own terms? So it fails on its own terms, but I don't think what they're doing is a moral thing or a, you know, a Kantian or utilitarian moral philosophy. I think most people, or I wouldn't, I don't know about most, but many people think what is correct is what 
is in their professional and social advantage. So people learn to believe what they need to believe to get ahead socially and professionally. Of course they do. Why does everybody believe the fucking same thing? Because when you're at work or you're hanging out at a cocktail party, if you start saying shit about Donald Trump and how you think that, you know, it got stolen in 2020, it's going to be embarrassing for you. There's going to be gasps. It's going to be bad, right? <laughs> Your life's going to go a lot easier at work, at least in the, you know, liberal circles that I, you know, traffic right, in and sure, that's, you know, my sure. people that I hang out with. It's going to go a lot smoother for you if you not only just hold your tongue, which some people do, but actually believe it. You know, you're, you'll be, you can pontificate about it. You can have great agreement with about it just in your whole way of being, everything you say, the jokes, the things you think are funny. It just, it, that's just the basis for which people believe what they believe. That's it. That's the only reason. So this like trust the experts because they were told to trust the expert because the expert is a guy on a TV channel that is favorable to their beliefs and their tribe and their, the way they do things. So I don't think there's any moral basis to it or even any epistemic basis that withstands any scrutiny at all. It's just simply like, I'm scared. I don't know very much. I'm basically a child inside and I haven't like stepped up into adulthood and said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm the person who has to decide. That's what, I, that's my thing. That's why I don't want anybody telling me what, I will decide. And people are like, oh, really? You're going to know more about than a doctor or about surgery? No, but I'll decide which surgery to have after he gives me the information. I'll decide which doctor is doing the surgery. I'll decide all this stuff. Of course, I, we talked about this before, I think, but like in a court of law, the expert doesn't tell you if the guy's guilty or not. The expert just sheds light right. for the layman on technical matters. And then the jury, the regular person says, hmm, okay, yeah. we heard who's his got, Yeah, who's got the veracity? Of what which argument has more veracity? Exactly, exactly. Let me try and tie it all back to the election midterm topic here by just saying that at least here in my initial kind of cursory look through the results, I was surprised at, you know, some of these local school board, you know, showings, not just across California, across the entire nation. It, it was a surge of, of what looks like people who don't really appreciate the way that the pandemic was handled in, in education so um, I don't know if that's a great way to transition, but one of the other things that I thought I had seen from you lately is commentary about accountability for all of the unscience and government fraud that went on during this COVID response. And now I'm talking about the much larger mosaic beyond, you know, just some school closures. To me, the debate is over on whether Pfizer, the FDA, the CDC were committing textbook statutory fraud against the citizens. I think that, you know, that argument can be made. You could bring those charges and we could go ahead and have a trial at this point. However, I do not see that coming. I don't see that on the horizon. I don't see anything like that. And in our quick outline of the show, I called this the persuasive Chad versus the Virgin Cynic. And I am not acting when I take the part of the Virgin Cynic here, Chris. But don't get me wrong. I do love the Chad. And again, I'm a huge David Hume philosophy guy. So I understand that persuasion is absolutely essential. I just don't know how you're going to get that huge expert imperative segment to care after they're like, you know, man, mistakes were made. Your, your rights got trampled, but we were trying to beat a deadly virus. And, you know, maybe it was even natural. It might've even come from bats. You know? so, yeah, yeah. 
I'm the, still, I'm the still merchant. Don't, still don't even believe the, yeah. the first entry-level obvious thing. Yeah. It's like, dude, we're just establishing the most entry-level obvious thing. We're not even getting to the fraud. We're not even getting yeah, to the main. So I'm it's the virgin things. cynic, baby. Try it, try and okay. show me. Where, where's the persuasive chat? So, so, so here, here's my basic argument. And I see this a lot. And people like you and people like this guy, Jordan Schachtel, I follow, who does good journalism. People are wide awake. You know, like people who absolutely, as you just said, like there's no doubt about what happened with Pfizer, they could have a trial now, but they think, yeah, but come on, let's be realistic. These are very powerful people and nothing's going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. And I feel like that's a common thing, even for people who are wide awake to what's actually going on. And I kind of feel like there's, that's just a part of the PSYOP. Like, so there's like different levels of the PSYOP. Like you may get stopped in the PSYOP at a level of like, oh, this is a conspiracy theory. Pfizer's fine. Of course, they're looking out for us, you know, and you don't even, you don't even go down that hole at all. You, you actually think that, you know, what the normies think, which the experts, the science changed and, you know, it doesn't stop the spread quite as well as we thought, but it's been helpful and it saved a lot of lives, whatever <laughs> right. you may, that's, that, that exists though. That's I know, I know. So, <laughs> so, right, okay. so, but the, so you're, if you're that right, like the PSYOP is just completely operated on you. Like you, you're just, you don't want to know you're terrified. You just got to keep your worldview intact. Like you're not even going there. Okay. But the people like you and, and some of these other people who are wide awake and have gone all the way down, you know, you yep. know, probably more than most people exactly sure. what happened. Then they, they get caught in the back end of the PSYOP, right? There's two layers to it. Like that's the first If you, but if you get through that, there's the other layer, which is like, nothing's going to happen. And I saw a clip, I put this in my column, my Substack column, and it was Sydney McCain of all people, John McCain's widow. And she's talking that everybody knew what Epstein was up to, but they didn't say anything. All these powerful people, Sydney McCain, John McCain, I'm sure you know, their whole crew was very important, powerful people. They just thought this guy's untouchable. And you know, obviously when um, in the Trump transition team, when the secretary of labor, Alex Acosta, whatever his name was, they asked him like, why did you give Epstein a slap on the wrist after he was convicted of underage sex trafficking or something horrible, whatever the actual charge was. And he said, somebody came by and said, that's above your pay grade. That's, you know, intelligence, leave it alone. And so like, they were like, this guy's protected. And so there's nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen to him. And then of course, somebody in the Miami Herald did a story, came out and he got prosecuted. You know, I mean, he, he did it finally. It, did it, it took Just, a long time, but you're right. It did. That is an but, example it, of it happening. Now, you know, he was suicided or still alive and they did some bait and switch, who knows? But, you know, so th there was no real accountability, actually, which could go to your point. Yeah. But my point is just that that he wasn't even taken out off the board until somebody was just like, fuck it. No, fuck this guy. He's he's trafficking underage girls like what? And, and went public with it. And then all of a sudden that was the end of that, that operation. So. I just think like the, the myth that this guy is untouchable is a myth that I would definitely want to propagate if I were one of these Pfizer execs or the people who bankrolled it or the people who were, you know, out at the forefront of, of advocating for mandates. I'd want people to think yeah, that makes sense. That I, I was I untouchable. I, if I'm I, a bully, I, I don't want to get into a fist fight. Right. You know, sure. I, I want I want you to be scared of me. I want you to be terrified. So I stare at you and take your lunch money. And that's it. The last thing I want is that little guy punching me in the face, punching me again, kicking me, punching me, biting me and saying, I'm in it for the death. If you take my lunch money again, <laughs> I'm like, shit, being a bully sucks. This isn't fun at all. Maybe I can win that fight. But man, someone else jumps on my back and starts kicking, biting me. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm out of I'm out of work, you know. And so 
you know, I, I just think like at the very first, like when they were like, you have to do this thing. She said, fuck you. I'm suing you. This is bullshit gone public. Every one of us like, fuck you. Who the fuck are you to tell me what medicine to take? Let me see them fucking research on this thing. 75 years. Screw that. I want all the public records. I want all the documents before you even consider mandating this shit. And we should have all done that, but we didn't, right? We were all like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's scary. To me, I'm fighting, you know, the, the psyop on the front end, like that, I, you know, I'm not really fighting that. That's delusion. That's serious, delusional, crazy. But, you know, I'm fighting you and, and other people who are wide awake saying, guys, the accountability will happen not only when you demand it, but when you expect it. Okay. When enough of us are like, this is fucking happening. Then the people who aren't as quite as deep will say, yeah, I'm sorry, we should have done this. Let's see. We'll look into it. And everyone's like, you fucking better look into it or I'm going to fucking make sure not only you lose power, but you're going to get prosecuted. We need accountability. Now, even Nuremberg with the Nazis, it didn't get everybody. It didn't get the financiers. You know, the Alan Dulles was yeah, still the operating. boys in Brazil. Yeah, not everybody yeah. went down. For sure. Not everybody's going to get got necessarily. Right? But the point is, to me, I'm fighting this last end of the PSYOP that it, it's you and me that are going to make it happen. It's you and me and the 150 million people like us who, who are awake to this, who know what happened. And we're going to keep saying what we're saying. And we're going to keep demanding it and expecting it. And when somebody who knows what we know and agrees basically with the, you know, with the gist of what we would like to see happen, starts saying, well, it's not going to happen. You. I'm going to say, no, stop saying that. That's part of the PSYOP. You don't know the future. You don't know. I just feel like you just make it happen and then let the, let the chips fall. And, and maybe it doesn't, I, I'm not, you know, I can't say, Oh, I know no, for no, sure. That's fine. Of course not. But that's, like I said, that's the Chad and I much respect and love to the Chad. It's going to be hard to get the virgin cynic out of me because I think getting accountability in this world is often like trying to get water out of a rock. Nobody's ever going to get prosecuted. I stepped on that fucking rake with the whole Russiagate thing. Oh, special prosecutor, John Durham's going to unflinchingly prosecute FBI and DOJ corruption. Wrong wrong fucking wrong so eh, it's it's a tough bridge for me but you're right the chad position is the right mindset you should expect that when a major pharmaceutical company you know defrauds people at this scale that there will be an appropriate official proceeding and they will be held accountable and those compliant people that colluded with them in the fda in the cdc in the biden white house all of those people will face appropriate prosecutions along the way as well it's up to you ted it's up to you and and i'll, I'll say one other thing you know that the durham thing i mean i wish that had happened too that he would took it seriously or i don't know what the story is was it that but oh it was a disaster but that was a it was a much more minor thing. I mean, it was a horrible thing. It was a psyop on the whole population about basically <laughs> right. election denial psyop that they're not, now that's a, that, you know, oh, election denial, you're a horrible person. You're a terrorist. Right, well, it is that was different. I agree. I agree. It's not, it was nowhere near as severe and this perverse is, as the People's Pfizer. kids are dead. Yeah. People's kids yeah. have myocarditis from yeah. a shot that they totally didn't need and they were forced to get. I mean, there are some nutless monkeys out there that, that happened to, and they're making excuses for, you know, pharmaceutical companies just to stay in the social good graces. But, there's enough people that that happened and they are, they are coming. They, they are not going to, and, and as more people speak out and this is how it works is if I'm speaking out and you're saying something and other people are saying something and people are just, it's just out in the open. Now, I couldn't even say this shit six months ago. I would have gotten canceled off of Twitter. That's real. Um, That's but now true. it's out in the open. Th then they're going to be like, holy shit, this is actually happening. Why is my kid sick? And you know, the amount of rage, justifiable rage that would, you know, the, the demand for accountability is going to be, so much higher than, you know, just the election fraud, 
you know, accusation that was fake in, in 2016. Speaking of accountability and official proceedings, let me try and move to something that's at least a little bit more lighthearted, I think, maybe. And um, I saw something amazing on your timeline recently. I've always enjoyed following you. I think I've expressed this before, but I consider you to be a person of just great integrity because you've been saying this same thing for two years. Throughout the pandemic, you drew the bright line, the ethical line, and you simply never crossed it. You don't just talk the talk. You fucking walk the walk. So I, I really do have genuine respect for the way you approach that. And one of the things that you were talking about recently was that you declined to do an FTX read while you were still a host at SiriusXM. And for folks who may not know, why don't you take a minute and kind of set the table and lay out what that FTX thing was all about? Yeah. So at XM, we had different reads for whatever. And I was kind of like the pain in the ass who'd be like, eh, I don't want to do a read for Burger King. That's kind of poisoning people. <laughs> You know, and, and the, people say, well, who cares? Like, you know, no one's going to eat a Burger King because you said so, whatever. I'm like, well, you know what? They wouldn't be paying for the advertising if that were, if that were the case. It, it's not like they pay for it. It must work to some extent. I'm not saying me specifically, but if they're throwing ads out there, they, they feel like associated with a host that you know or listen to regularly may, when you see Burger King, you, you, you know, that association helps you. So I'd always be saying no, and it would annoy people. Or make poor Jeff do a read that I wouldn't do a read for. <laughs> but but it wasn't as good as I thought because I looked, I actually looked this up. So basically, like, you know, the read came through, anyone want to do FTX, whatever. And they threw it to me because I know about the space a little bit. You know, I'm not like into crypto. Crypto's fucking cringe. I'm just into Bitcoin. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, so they were like, Do you have any issue? And I said, Thanks for asking. I'm checking with some people on Twitter if it's legit or scammy. And actually, like the answer I got was that it was legit from those people. But so I said, you know, uh, but it's <laughs> just the, the full, full disclosure. I said, well, what's it worth to us? I'm a big BTC believer, but think most of the other stuff is probably junk. I'm reading from the email, but the exchange itself didn't present any obvious red flags to the people that I asked. And then the guy tells me, well, you know, we have a rev share and it, you know, it's just, a, there's not really much in it for us. And I was sort of like, if we're not, if there's not much in it, I'd say we pass. As far as I can tell, it's not horrible, but I'd be, I'd feel obligated to say, the others are shit coins, and I doubt the advertiser would appreciate that. And the guy said, okay, thanks for the feedback. I'll pass. So we didn't do it. But if he were like, this is going to make us 30 grand. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be full disclosure. I shuttled it because partly because our deal was, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but it wasn't, you know, we didn't get like that big of a, a cut of everything. So it was like, well, why am I going to do this again? You know, so it wasn't as principled as, as uh, I thought. I, I look okay, back well, and I was like, good, oh, That's go. good background, after, especially after I told you how much respect I had for you. I, yeah. I'm glad well, to no, know, no. I'm well, glad to know that your integrity part... does have a, a number, which everyone no, no. should if you think about it. No, no, no. It, it shouldn't have a number. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, I'm just but kidding. But honestly, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just that I'm part of a, I was part of a company, right? And if I was saying sure. no to stuff, it, would be, it was easy to say no to something that would seem kind of scammy or not. I wasn't clear on that was like not really going to make us money just to like curry favor with XM. Fuck that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Right, right. But if I have partners to whom I'm accountable and we're trying to make money and I'm like saying no to something that would have made us a lot of money, um, that would have to be a higher bar of actual fraud. You know, but we'd, I'd have to know that there was actual fraud there. And I didn't, I didn't know. I, I just know that all those altcoins, well, I don't know, but my belief is all the altcoins all are, are shit. Like you shouldn't own them. They're scams in my opinion, including Ethereum. And I just wouldn't touch any of that stuff. And so I don't want to be you know, passing that on to other people. 
but yeah, the, the email wasn't as, uh, you know, as noble as, as, as I remembered. I remember I was like, fuck, I, I remembered it. And then I, I looked at the actual conversation. And that's exactly the, the same. rest of the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too good. So um, the FTX exchange did collapse and some people apparently have lost a whole shit ton of money. And it will be interesting to see if the principal involved there, Sam Bankman Fried or SBF as he goes by, it's going to be interesting to see if SBF is the subject of any serious investigation. So we were just talking about accountability and official proceedings. You want to look into your crystal ball and tell me what you see for SBF's future? It's very difficult because this really smells like an operation of some kind, like Epstein. <laughs> like, no, that was a loaded fucking question, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because I don't I don't think we really know what this is yet. Uh-oh. You know, I mean, we know it's an exchange, and a lot of people put their money in and got rugged and life savings and all that. And you know, that, it, it's the same thing. It's like people listen to experts and invested in this exchange. So they listen to experts and they gave the the medicine to their kid that didn't need it. Like all of this stuff is like. You got to rug your, I mean, you've been rugged already, but you've got to like come to terms with it. Like, dude, all this shit is bullshit. Yeah. So of course you shouldn't have done it. Now I, I don't blame the victim. I mean, people trusted and they were, they were misled and, and they're definitely victims, but we need to have a, a sense of responsibility of like, don't just put the money there. Don't just take this medicine because you were told to like fucking look into it. Stop just thinking that you're supposed to do what other smart people quote, smart people around you were doing fucking examine it from first principles, reason it through. And if you don't understand it, don't buy it. Don't invest with it. If you don't see where, what it is or don't do it. And I guess that was more the lesson of the read. It was like, for free, I'm going to read this for curry favor. I don't really know what this is. And you know, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, this is a known scam. Right. But I'll do it for 20 grand. It was like, I just don't know what this is. And I was like, kind of wary of it. Yeah, uh, good but good like, radar. Your radar is pointed in the correct yeah, direction yeah. because it so, turns so, out they're using customer funds. Their Alameda silo is trading on tokens before listings. They wiped out millions of millions of trader dollars and uh, we'll see if there is a possible fraud charge here i will say that sbf our boy sam was at least smart enough to give a shit ton of money to politicians because if you're doing dirt at that level and you want to avoid prosecution on the back end giving is a good idea there's a couple things going on here so first of all i i've been like in and around this stuff since 2017 summer of 2017 I had never heard of that dude till two years ago. And suddenly he's the biggest exchange, the biggest guy, like the CZ Binance guy who helped bring about his demise by asking like about his reserves and stuff. Sure. That yep. guy was around when I started. He was already around. So like that guy who knows like if there's the Chinese government involved with him or whatever, but that guy was around. So he ran an exchange that was known and had been in business for a long time. This guy came in the last two years and how did he just get built up in all these magazine covers the next Warren Buffett out of nowhere? That's very strange. He just got just dropped like in, just dropped right out of the sky, maybe right. like any yeah. number of CIA operations that I mean, we have seen across the world in the past, maybe not in this exact context of crypto, but this has all of the telltale signs of an op just up and down. Totally. Epstein was like, oh, he's a financier. Really? Yeah, a great a comparison. Great what, comparison. What did he? Comparison. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, he's a financier. It's fucking bullshit. He's obviously not a financier. And this guy's a founder. This like fat drug addict guy is a founder. He's like this guy. Like, I mean, nope. it, it was so crazy. And then nope. the other thing is, Jeff Bezos is a billionaire. 
What does Jeff Bezos do? Oh, he's been at Amazon. Was he at Amazon in 1998? Yes, he was. Yep. Sergey Brin and, and Larry Page at Google. Were they at Google in 2003? Oh, yes, they were. Mark Zuckerberg, you remember him at Facebook. These people who are billionaires who have 20, 40, 50, 80 billion dollars, yep. this guy had 16 or whatever. Yeah, Mark Cuban, you, know, you can trace it broadcast.com. Every any right. single one of them has a legit backstory. And this that guy's you've known got, for years. Yeah, you don't just show up as a billionaire overnight from nowhere. It's, it's a cutout. It's a every- cutout. It's a it's exactly like the movies, man. I hate to say it, but it's really right out of central fucking casting. What where did they get this stand-up, this SBF cutout? Where did this fucking thing come from? Can I tell you the rumor that I've heard? Sure, sure. They, yeah. I've heard rumors. We've heard rumors that he's actually a cutout for a laundering operation, that they're just onshoring money from, of all things, Ukrainian interests. They're onshoring money that went to the Ukraine. They're just pulling it back onshore. It's just a giant laundering operation from all of the money that we've been sending to the Ukraine. Those are just rumors, un- uncorroborated at this point. It's It's hard to put the paper trail together. But uh, there are some indications. Well, I mean, that'd be a brilliant thing because you basically have him give all the money to the Democrats to get elected. They're elected. They perpetuate this Ukraine thing. They send all this money to Ukraine. Ukraine sends it in an FTX. And you just have this revolving door where they can then donate more to the Democrats. And it would happen. I don't know if there's evidence yet, as you said, a money trail from Ukraine back. There was rumors. I, I saw rumors too. But I don't know if they had demonstrated there was an actual money trail back Yes, I don't want to be X spreading movie. Russian disinformation. Ooh, <laughs> right. I mean, it's probably true, but it's such but a I, good yeah, podcast. We, please don't let us drag it into Russian right. disinformation. But uh, there yeah. were rumors. Yeah. yeah. Well, there were rumors of that, and, and it's totally plausible to me. And it also kind of makes sense of like, why the fuck are we giving so much money to Ukraine? Like, <laughs> it's not really necessary. And Zelensky's like, we need more. We need 100 billion. Like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Like, don't you just give like a billion here, a billion there, 300 million here to these these countries? Like, what are you giving like this much money for? I mean, I don't know. It just seemed a bit crazy without any explanation or oversight. So the, the laundering would make a lot of sense. But I'm going to say something, maybe it'll blow your mind uh, and maybe it won't, but just sort of related to this is the price of Bitcoin has gone down quite a bit just, you know, in the last year. And then also this knocked down another 20% after the uh, the fallout. But you know that, uh, FTX had like 1.4 billion in Bitcoin claims against it, like uh, liabilities right. and zero Bitcoins on the books. Yeah. And w- what that means is they were selling people Bitcoin, people who had demand, who wanted Bitcoin were buying it on the exchange, but they weren't really buying it. They were just buying an IOU. So, so they weren't buying actual Bitcoin, which is scarce and of which there will only ever be 21 million of. They were buying paper Bitcoin, non-existent Bitcoin. So demand was coming in that should move the price up, but it wasn't getting to the actual Bitcoin. It was just being basically embezzled. It never actually went and took real supply off the market. Now, let's imagine this is not the only exchange doing this, right? That their fractional reserve, they're saying, okay, as long as there's not a bank run and we have 1,000 Bitcoins, we can sell 10,000 Bitcoins to our customers because at any moment when they withdraw to their cold storage, we can, we can provide that as long as they all don't do it at once, just like the banking system, you know, right. just as long as there's not a bank run. So what happens when everybody's withdrawing it to their wallet, which is hard technologically for people, or just everybody's demanding that these exchanges have proof of reserves that like actually the Bitcoin that's owned by their customers is in their possession, that they have the private keys to it, or they have a custodian with the private keys to it. Suddenly the supply 
will go back to 21 million. It might've been 210 million for all we knew. There might've been 10X out there. So there's demand meeting supply, but the supply gets you know stretched out like there's way more of it. This thing could go up five or 10 or 20X in the next three months. Now, I'm not saying that will happen. That's I'm just a saying- very oh, interesting wh theory. That why is this so low? The price is going down because they have an infinite supply of this, this fake Bitcoin they're selling and the demand just, it's not going into the real coins. It's going into the ether. So all of a sudden people are like, holy shit, I need the real thing. These paper ones are no good. I need cold storage or I need a, an exchange that backs up its reserves. There's none left. There's nothing to buy. Everybody's like, wants some. And then, you know, as soon as this gets known, nation states, companies, people like, holy shit, I thought I could just indefinitely buy when it's going down to 10,000, 15,000. You know, if I want later, we'll see how low it goes. Oh, no, no, no. Like this, this, this is the true scarcity of the thing that was sort of subverted. And that may be part of the operation. The laundering is one, but also when it goes up to 69,000 or whatever it went to a year and a half ago or a year ago, and the governments are like, holy shit, this is a bit of a threat to the dollar. We're printing too much money. And this is an alternative system that works. What, wouldn't it be great to put some of these guys in to do fractional reserve banking with it, which means you could absorb basically infinite demand without jacking up the price? And then also have an implosion, which then, you know, sours everybody on the system after it's been a year of declining prices. Now, of course, the macro setup and the raising of interest rates have something to do with it and the availability of cash. But the Bitcoin uh, market cap is 200 billion or 250 billion. That's not, that doesn't matter. Like there's so much, you know, dry powder out there. It's not like we're not talking about 50, 60 trillion, you know, where the, where the recession makes it unavailable. There's a plenty of people with dry powder to put this thing up to, you know, a million a coin, you know, where it's just the price of gold. It's just the market cap of gold. So anyway, that's that just is my, everyone fascinating. thinks this is going to be Okay, you got, you got my antenna. Your sig my antenna is picking up your signal here. I'm very intrigued by what you're saying. And uh, while you were talking, I just grabbed the chart real quick. November 12th, 2021. So barely a year ago, Bitcoin was trading at 64.4. 64.4 down to 16.8 currently. So um, obviously it's a volatile asset. It always has been, but there seems to be some, some market tinkering here. And the way you just described it makes too much sense. So kind of Occam's razor. And I think you're right. I think that there may be artificial paper coins. So well, I think it, FTX just proved that there are. So I shouldn't say yes. I think. So yeah. the question at, that you asked is the correct one, which is how widespread is this phenomenon, if you will. It's got to be widespread because this is how these guys operate. It's just like, as long as this one, this is the utilitarian, this is the sickness of it. It's like, as long as this 1% scenario that we put on our spreadsheet doesn't happen, which is everybody wanting their coins at once. runs it, yeah. <laughs> why don't we just make so much free money where we can just take all their money and just use it? It's Bernie Madoff. It's the same thing. If you wanted to get a payout from Bernie Madoff, you could. If you were early to get the payout, like, hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my money. If you're the first one out, you know, while the scheme's still going on, you can get your money out. It's just, you know, only a certain amount of people can get it out before it collapses. So I would assume, I don't know which ones, but we'll see if Binance is doing it. We'll see if some of these other ones are doing it. And, you know, maybe at, at the nation state scale, there's a bunch of these things set up to, to do this because it's very dangerous for the powerful if, if everyone's running into this currency and, there's an escape hatch and suddenly like, you yeah, know, the motive is like, there. Oh, the, yeah. You've, I mean, you, you didn't yeah. speak to it thoroughly, but absolutely. The motive well, is there. It's so clear. It's easy to see. I'll, I'll leave you with one last thing that there's a guy, I forget the article, but it was Preston Pish who I follow, who tweeted this article a couple of weeks ago out. 
It was a guy who made the case of why the U.S. is going to buy Bitcoin, obviously in size. And it would be like, maybe like plan A was like destroy this thing through this fractional reserve thing. And if it doesn't work, plan B is going to have to be to buy it. <laughs> because if you don't buy it and it moons uh, and you're a nation state and Iran's buying it or North Korea's buying it, I mean, you got a big problem or Russia's buying it. You got a big problem. And so these guys are pretty smart and they're probably aware of a lot of shit and like, okay, step one, make it cheaper to buy anyway. So that's just another thing. Again, I'm speculating. I don't, I'm a terrible handicapper of short-term price movement. It could go down. Please do not take it as like, you know, <laughs> so, I think folks but, understand that no financial advice was just given. Yeah. I anyway, mean, I, I, I think I just think it's very plausible. That's all I'm going to say. I, it is. It's, it's a great case you laid out, especially because, again, the motive is so easy to see. The, the flags are all where you would expect them to be for an operation like that. It's uh, very interesting. So I don't know if we solved any of the world's problems today, but I really enjoyed the conversation. So thanks for making some time on this Real Man Wood Arch Independent Collab Show. Chris, bring us home. Yeah, I, I appreciate it as well. I appreciate your podcast. And I, th I thought the podcast that we did on Real Man Wood was really well received. And, uh, and I'm psyched to put this, uh, put this one up too. So uh, thanks for doing it, man.